Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, March 25th. We begin with a look at the approval of the federal government's $82 billion financial aid package, which was passed very early this morning. Global News Senior Correspondent Jeff Semple has the details. Next, we look at how the coronavirus pandemic is creating a survivalist economy. We'll learn exactly what that means and how the effects could change consumerism down the line. Isolation is certainly taking a toll on children with no playgrounds, playdates or sleepovers. We get advice from a youth and family psychologist on how you can help your kids through this tough time. And then we get an update south of the border as COVID-19 continues to ramp up in the U.S. We catch up with Global's Washington correspondent, Reggie Cicchini. And finally, our local libraries may be closed, but that doesn't mean you still can't get your library fix. We hear all about the online offerings from Calgary Public Library CEO, Mark Asberg. 710 on the morning news. MPs uh, debated the $82 billion relief bill for hours. It was a Full day of tense negotiations. The Conservatives accused the Liberals of attempting a power grab, but eventually there was an agreement, and it looks like the money could start to flow soon. With details, we're joined this morning by Global's senior correspondent, Jeff Semple. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning, guys. Great to be with you. Good to have you. Well, you know what, this, uh, again, was, it was quite the debate. It took some hours. Can you break down the full package for us? Yeah, in fact, uh, we I think it took some hours. It took the entire night. The news came in just around uh, 6 a.m. local time, so Ottawa time, Eastern time, about three hours ago that this thing had finally received approval in the House of Commons. Uh, yeah, and it took a long time because uh, the opposition parties accused the Trudeau Liberals of trying to sort of sneak through and make this part of a bigger package that would have given the Liberal Party uh, in its minority government sweeping unprecedented powers to tax and spend without having to seek parliamentary approval. Uh, So the opposition parties hit the brakes on that, no surprise, and that's why there was such a significant delay and why it took all night to get this thing passed. But it is passed now to the tune of $82 billion, a COVID-19 aid package uh, earmarked for a slew of different people. Um, So obviously, you know, number one, uh, the jobless Canadians, who are people who have been put and forced out of work as a result of all of these various business closures that have come in this outbreak, uh, we saw just in the last week nearly 1 million Canadians applying for EI. Wow. So that's about 5% of the labor force in the country in one week. So a lot of this money is earmarked for them, uh, childcare, uh, homeless population, um, just to name you know a few of the many examples. Uh, a lot of this money is going into existing programs. Some of it will go into new programs. And that is raising questions, of course, of just how quickly this money can get from the government's bank account into the bank accounts of ordinary Canadians. Uh, they are, you know, the government says they're going as fast as they can, but the you know a number of bureaucrats also working from home, right, trying to make this reality work, trying to start these new programs. So in the existing programs such as EI, um, you know, they're seeing a huge number of claims, but uh, they're hoping to get those going as quickly as possible. And of course, we're pressing them on that. Jeff, in the end, did the Liberals get any of the financial powers that they were looking for? No, I mean, they got uh, powers to, to to spend, but they have to seek parliamentary approval. And every, every I think, every week or every two weeks, they have to come back and provide an update to the House um, in terms of the money that has been spent and, um, and any other sort of financial implications therein. So regular updates, uh, having to seek parliamentary approval, and also had to agree to put a sunset clause on, uh, on a number of these emergency powers that the government is now using to try and make all of this work. Of course, it, it took some debate, $82 billion, a huge number, as you alluded to. 
Uh, how does we disseminate these funds? What's the conduit? Because uh, getting it to Canadians in a couple months doesn't help all that much. Uh, has there been a discussion exactly how uh, we can get these funds doled out to those who need it? No, well, I think, yeah, I mean, those discussions are underway right now. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, in terms of exactly when Canadians can start to see, uh, you know, the check in the mail, um, we don't know exactly yet. Uh, and that's a question that a lot of people are asking us. We've, of course, we've been uh, taking viewer questions, listener questions, reader questions over the past few weeks about COVID-19. Set up a special email address, by the way, uh, yourquestions at globalnews.ca, uh, where people can get in touch. And, uh, you know, at first it was, you know, well, you know, what are the symptoms of the virus? What are the recovery times? Do I need to self-isolate? And now, the, you know, the majority of these are focused on I've lost my job. You know, my husband's lost his job. How do I get, you know, when will I get to see this money? And at, at this point, we just don't have extremely clear answers to those questions. But uh, this was the hurdle that needed to happen. And, you know, the, the, the money has been approved now. So hopefully it will start showing up sooner rather than later. So what happens, Jeff, now? It goes to the Senate for approval. And how long does that, you know, is that expected to take? Or, or is this just, you know, a quick stamp and off it goes? Yeah, it should be a quick stamp. I think it's expected to take, um, it's happened like this week, um, and then it'll be moving forward. So in terms of the timeline of the legislation, yeah, I think um, that should happen pretty quickly. It's just, you know, as you say, a question of how, how quickly the checks start arriving in the mail. Parliament obviously resumed for this emergency session. Are we talking about a schedule going on, or is there going to be another, you know, pull away and a bit of a break? Yeah, so there's going to be a break indefinitely, and I don't know if you saw any of the pictures overnight, but it was a very strange-looking House of Commons. Just yeah. a handful of, of MPs were present. Uh, all the parties agreed to keep the number of politicians traveling to Ottawa low. So basically, if you had to travel to get there, you were you were told not to bother. Uh, so yeah, very empty, and they were all keeping their distance, of course. Um, so yeah, but to your question, um, yeah. So now they are now breaking, and um, and it's basically it sounds like it indefinitely. Definitely. So there won't be um, much in the way of, um, you know, our regular sort of question period, certainly. Um, but yeah, as we, as we say, I think the next step for this is that uh, this goes before the Senate. They're expected to meet later today and hopefully this gets uh, on its way very soon. And Jeff, the Prime Minister is expected to speak again this morning, his daily update at 9.15 our time. And of course, we'll be covering that and playing that, uh, that uh, press conference live here on 770. But anything you're hearing that could be new coming out of it? Because I think we're all kind of just waiting to hear if there's going to be uh, a federal sort of state of emergency put into place. Yeah, and you know, every day the Prime Minister comes out at around the same time, at the same place, outside of his house, and he gets asked the same questions. You know, when is the federal government going to look at invoking the National Emergency Measures Act? Formerly the War Measures Act has only been put in place three times in, in history, during the First and Second World Wars, and then by Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, during the FLQ crisis. And Justin Trudeau has been so far very reluctant to take that step and to pass the, the Emergency Measures Act, um, which would give the government you know, sweeping powers. And, you know, I think he's often said he thinks that the, the, you know, the steps that the provinces have taken along those lines are sufficient. And we have seen, you know, a number of, a growing number of provinces right across the country and municipalities declaring their own states of emergency and, you know, using it to order businesses to close, to, you know, issue fines against businesses that refuse to, or individuals even who aren't self-isolating when they're supposed to be. Um, and, I, you know, I think it's worth, we've been kind of delving into the legislation in this area and really the provinces do in, in depending on the province but like the province of Ontario for example arguably has more emergency powers within the province than the federal government would 
have, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the provincial powers are significant and they are being used. And I think Justin Trudeau at this point appears to be, you know, content with that, very reluctant to take this step. Uh, but he's asked every day about it. And, and it seems inevitable that it will happen at some point. It's just a question of when. Well, let's hope we see the $82 billion before we need to worry about that. But thanks for joining us with your take on it, Jeff. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, guys. That's Global Senior Correspondent Jeff Sample. 6.09 on your Wednesday morning. Our economy suffering right along with our population as the coronavirus wreaks havoc around the world. Some say it's creating a survivalist economy. But what exactly does that mean? With details, we're talking this morning with Global News contributor Tasha Carradin. Hi, Tasha. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. I read your article, but if you can explain a little more, what exactly is a survivalist economy? Well, um, unfortunately, it's an economy that's stripped down to the bare bones in terms of things that people need to literally survive. So we're talking about food, uh, your basic groceries. We're talking about drugs. Uh, We're talking about eventually, hopefully, a vaccine or treatment for COVID-19. And we're also talking about things like ventilators, medical equipment. Um, We're seeing companies prioritize both the manufacture and delivery of these things. Um, I write about Amazon, for example, which, you know, we're used to getting all sorts of stuff from Amazon. Lots of trivial stuff, uh, markers for our kids, uh, you know, supplies for the office. That's not going to happen anymore because they're even prioritizing the delivery of only essentials to their warehouses. So what we consume, how we consume it, how it's made is going to change over the next few months and maybe the next few years. So I, I'm guessing, uh, Tasha, that uh, we, we have to ask what a survivalist economy was. So, I mean, it's, it's new to us. Has this happened before? Or do we have to go back as far as war times to have seen something like this in our society? Uh, well, yes. I mean, you go. You, there are parallels you can draw, certainly, to World War II um, and World War One as well. When you saw big companies conscripted to manufacture weapons, um, that's now being the weapons here. Really, are things like ventilators, and you're seeing this um, all over the place. You're also seeing things like you know companies producing sanitizer where they used to produce booze. Uh, you know, people are stepping up and. Um, sometimes it's the government asking them to. Other times it's it's uh, people are offering to do so. But the kinds of things that are needed right now are not the kinds of things that were perhaps produced before. So, yes, we're seeing that. And that's, that's going to change. Um, we're seeing also how it's affecting the workforce because a lot of people who were producing the goods that we were previously consuming or uh, w- would have been consuming are now either unemployed or they're going to be doing different things. Is this really stripping it down to the bare bones, do you think, or just maybe getting getting rid of some of the excess that we are so used to, the unnecessary that we're so used to. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I write about some of the unnecessary because, I mean, everyone's used to consuming in the West in general sort of what you can afford. So that can be, like I said, small things like, you know, uh, luxuries, right? little luxuries. I mean, I you know, flameless candles. We ordered a whole bunch of those at Christmas. We thought they'd be pretty in our house. Will we be doing that now? Absolutely not. Um, these kinds of little luxuries are going to probably disappear from people's budgets because we just got some numbers this morning showing that uh, 38% of us are scared we're not going to be able to afford groceries um, or rent. Uh, you know, uh, we've, we've a million EI applications coming in in one week. People are going to start prioritizing only the essentials. So all that stuff that we're so used to buying, and some people say, oh, great, you know, uh, we, we consume too much. Um, be careful what you wish for. 
This is not going to be, you know, time of Instagramming great canning of food in your backyard or whatever. No, this is going to be uh, people just trying to get by and it's not going to be fun. It's a fact that it's happening, Tasha, but uh, to a certain extent, doesn't this lend or almost promote to people wanting to get out and hoard because they want to get their hands on the last of their favorite product, which, again, isn't a necessity, but would be in short supply down the line? Well, their essentials will be there. Their favorite product, I mean, that depends. Depends. Some people, you know, love their little their little luxuries, their favorite brand of maybe makeup or soap or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you'll be really leaving the house. So I know my makeup use has seriously declined in the last uh, few weeks because uh, you don't need to be in front of people as much. But my point is simply that I think people will be forced to choose. And so they won't be able to buy the things that maybe they made their lives you know, a little brighter, a little better. Maybe they'll um, think twice about those purchases again also when things lift because, you know, what happened with the Depression, for example, when people um, lost, you know, everything, essentially, um, many people were destitute. Those folks in later life, um, you know, they've, they've always, always talked about the greatest generation of people went through the Depression. They were, they've been penny-pinching some of them to the ends of their days, even when they had money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this I know people will be hoarding so much, they don't have the money to hoard right now. I think it'll be more of it. They'll be watching their 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 cash later. I mean, we know the supply chain is just fine throughout North America, so we don't need to hoard toilet paper and that sort of no. thing as that that began. But do you think this will lead to change down the line? You know, for companies that produce the goods and services as well. Uh, I think it will, and you're going to see in the short term. You're definitely going to see some companies um, and companies you might not expect to suffer in this. You know, we always talk about the digital economy as being the future, but. Um, it's interesting to note that um, the value of advertising, which is the lifeblood of things like Google, for example, is declining. Um, they're going to lose about $4 billion just from the travel sector alone, which is no longer placing ads in the next quarter and, and the current quarter. It's about 10% of their revenue in advertising gone because we can't travel anywhere. So, you know, all your Expedia ads, they won't be there. Um, they're also going to lose um, other platforms like media, for example, digital platforms that rely on advertising. Small companies that, you know, lots of small businesses will go under. They won't be promoting their wares either. So this is going to have a ripple effect through a lot of businesses where people might not expect to see that sort of thing happen. Well, and it's funny because in the grand scheme of things, we're crossing our fingers and hoping that it's only several weeks or a handful of months. But the impact it can have, for example, you say some of the smaller industries, some of the bigger ones as well. But the travel aspect, cruise lines, you know, how do they uh, take this hit and move on? That could change uh, cruise lines off the face of the earth. It could. And it could also, I think people will be wary of certain things because even though eventually this pandemic will pass and hopefully it will be under control uh, through vaccines or treatments, you know, people people remember. And um, will you feel the same going on a cruise ship? I, I don't know if I will. I hate to say that. I've been on cruises and they were lots of fun, but now I will look around and think germs. And so the cruise lines will be ha- will have to battle that in a huge way. Will they be successful? I don't know. I mean, in the short term, they will lose so much money. Maybe some of them will go under. It's, it's possible. Um, so it, it will certainly change the, our habits as well for a lot of things. To, to look on maybe a bright side coming out of this, maybe, you know, we learn to support local more. We learn to rely on the, the little mom and pop shops and that sort of thing instead of looking to the big box or the, you know, the big online retailers. Yeah, I think that 
two things may happen. I mean, online, Amazon, for example, is actually um, going to be doing probably well in this environment because people are scared to go shop anywhere, local or not. But I think also there will be um, hopefully a sense of solidarity that people say, you know what, we're in this together. And um, yeah, I want to make sure that I can go to my corner grocer, that it's still there because you know, maybe I won't be able to go to my big box store. I won't have access to that if I'm you know, stuck in my house for a few months and you get used to perhaps using other things. So I think there's going to be, like I said, a lot of ripple effects. And mm-hmm. this makes it difficult for policymakers, you know, um, deciding how do we support things through this this period, which is not going to be forever. But how do we make sure that we don't have a complete collapse of certain sectors? When are they going to be affected? You can't just throw money at the wall and hope some of it sticks. You have to be smart about it. I guess we'll see what happens when we come out the other side, but very interesting times. And thank you for your time this morning, Tasha. Oh, my pleasure, I guess. Thank you. That's Tasha Carradine, Global News Contributor. 11.12 now on your Wednesday morning, and social distancing means a lot of time alone for children, too. Not going to school anymore and not really understanding why they're not allowed on playgrounds or to see their friends. It's a lot for a young mind. And joining us this morning is Tasha Bellex, youth and family psychologist, about the impact that isolation might be having on our kids. Hi, Tasha. Good morning. How are you doing? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. I think it's an important topic because, you know, adults are already a little, you know, a high stressed about what's going on right now. So can only imagine what the kids are going through. Is it as difficult for them as it is for us right now? Well, it really depends on the family and our kids. And I think I think you you kind of pointed out a piece that's really critical for people to know in terms of how parents are managing their stress level. <laughs> um, that has a direct a direct impact on how how kids are impact like like experiencing and making sense of what's kind of going on in the community and, and the world. And so checking in with parents number one would be really critical in terms of um, you know, parents if they're feeling overwhelmed and worried to not have really vocal loud phone calls, you know, with extended family walking around the house in mm-hmm. earshot of kids, um, because kids pick up on tension, even if they don't know what the words are, they know when a mom or dad's voice sounds stressed and alarmed and it, and it would impact a little person's nervous system. And I, when I say little person, it could be, you know, an 18 year old. It doesn't necessarily just need to be an eight year old. So obviously we have to have conversations with our children and age dependent, as you mentioned, whether it's a small child or an 18 year old. Uh, But how do we explain what's going on and assure them that we're still there for them again without scaring our children? Absolutely. And so I think a big part is taking lead from what kids are asking um, and giving them, you know, enough information so that they know a little bit about how the virus is being spread um, and how important it is we can't see it. It would be easier if it was actually killer bumblebees because <laughs> it's more tangible, you know, yeah. like, um, versus like there's this thing that we can't see on our hands and it can be spread when we cough or sneeze. Um, so it's, it's this magical, invisible entity. Um, but, but, you know, talking a little bit about how viruses are spread um, and, and how we keep ourselves clean um, by washing our hands frequently and making that sort of a fun process in our day. Um, and really taking it day by day. And so for all of us, we don't, we don't know what's, what's in the future. Um, and if we spend too much time thinking ahead, um, it can be pretty overwhelming. And, and really, that's where anxiety starts brewing. It's 
future focused where we really have no, there's lots of what if questions and we really have no way of managing future. Um, so we want to keep ourselves back into the, the moment. And so this is what we know now. Um, and these are the things that we're going to do to get through today. And Tasha, maybe is it important to ask instead of tell? I mean, maybe they're getting information. Should we be asking, hey, what are, do you have any questions or what are you hearing from your friends on social media, for example, and maybe making sure that the information they're getting is actually correct too? Yeah, absolutely. And so it could be a place to have a conversation. Um, I think probably limiting a little bit of social media time might be important as well. Um, just because most people's Facebook and Instagram and, you know, Snapchats, a lot of it is quite riddled with COVID-19, which in itself, when you're inundated with, with stats and what ifs and, and pictures of, you know, people, you know, you know, world pictures with the COVID spreading through the world, it sort of adds to that, that worry and overwhelm. Um, so some time limits on it and for sure, be that person that is there for your kids to, you know, like, what's going on? Why can't we go play at the playground? Um, that you get down to their their level eye to eye and and ask them what what they're worried about or what they're thinking about. And then all we can do, we can't we can't promise things that aren't truthful, but we can say this is what I know, um, and and this is we know that you know we love you and we can keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And this is part of how we keep ourselves safe right now. We stay in our house, and so. Um, you know, I, I've heard from some people that, you know, kids have regressed in their behavior. So, you know, a little person that was toilet trained and, you know, two years ago is now having accidents or kids that had really, you know, well grown out of the place where they were waking up in the night and wanting to come into mom, mom and dad's bed are reverting back to some of those earlier behaviors. And again, when when things are wobbly in, in our world, it is it's pretty normal and understandable that we go back to those um, more like regressive behavior mm-hmm. because we're going back to a, a, to our caregivers and looking for reassurance. And so, again, this wouldn't be the place maybe where you want to be sleep training your kids. Um, it might be, wow, you know, like our kids are picking up on some of the stress that might be around, mm-hmm. um, that is around, and, and I'm going to be kind of gentle with them and maybe give them a little bit more TLC because because they need it yeah. and and likely they're picking up on some of the stress that parents parents have as well some great uh, tips there tasha thank you for spending time with us this morning for sure that is tasha Bilix, youth and family psychologist 750 on the morning news the number of cases of covid 19 in the u.s continues to climb at a frightening rate uh, the virus south of the border at this point, it looks like deaths, and again, reportedly between 780 and 790. Uh, with more, we're joined by Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. I, you know, I, I, it would be nice if we could put a date to wrap this thing up, and I think uh, you might know where I'm going with this when I uh, say I don't think it's going to be wrapped up by Easter. What was the president thinking with that statement? The backlash has been extraordinary. You know, I don't think that it's going to be wrapped up by uh, Easter either, and neither do health officials that we've spoken to in the country, and neither does the World Health Organization, who says the U.S. is potentially going to become the next epicenter for this pandemic. But the president is eager to get the economy reopened. Remember, despite the fact that we are all sitting underneath this COVID-19 concern, the United States is also in an election 
happier and the president is dependent on a strong economy in order to get people behind him to reelect him in November. And if people are sitting at home and people aren't making money and there's an opportunity that, you know, unemployment figures could skyrocket, that isn't a good thing for President Trump. So he's looked at the calendar. He says Easter is right around the corner. He calls it a beautiful time, says magical thinking. And that's when he wants things to be reopened. Can that happen, though? Or do doctors like Fausti have the ability to say, no, we can't do that? Well, I mean, look, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks both have said publicly after the president has spoken uh, that the day needs to be flexible and that you can't just put a concrete uh, uh, stone down on a calendar and say this is when things are going to happen. But also uh, the president didn't put a national law in place that made people uh, stay at home. This has all been left up to governors or in D.C.'s uh, case, the mayor. And we in D.C. just went under uh, uh, non-essential closures starting last night. uh, And that goes for a month, which will extend beyond Easter. So the president may say he wants people to open back up and and go back to work, but governors are going to say, we have people locked down for a reason, and it's because we want to stop the spread of this virus. What are we hearing about, uh, you know, uh, medical supplies and uh, those things that are needed, like particularly in New York City, that uh, was talking about a two-week limit. Does that still hold, or are they getting some more medical supplies dropped in? They are getting uh, a few medical supplies. Governor Cuomo was was very angry with the government yesterday for their uh, handing over of 400 ventilators. He said he needed 30,000. Then the government offered another 4,000, and the governor said, that's wonderful. That's that's 4,400 ventilators we have, but we still need 25,000, and it's just a slow process of trying to get this equipment brought into every state. Remember, the president has the power under a wartime law to compel companies to manufacture goods, and he has not done that. He says he does not want to use the strong arm of the law. He also wants uh, the government, rather, uh, and he says that companies are simply just offering up their services, but it's far too few companies for the grand need that is uh, essential to keep these healthcare systems from ultimately failing across the country. Reggie, super quick question before we let you go. It looks like that $2 trillion stimulus bill will go through. When could that be passed at the earliest? So the Senate is likely going to vote on that uh, later today. It's then got to go to the House. They have to figure out whether or not all 400 plus members are going to come in and vote individually or if they'll be able to do it by unanimous consent. If it passes, it's going to be a huge stimulus for the economy, thousands of dollars for families, hundreds of billions of dollars for healthcare workers, hospitals and large corporations by way of grants uh, and uh, uh, by way way of, uh, of grants and loans. So this is going to be something that could potentially help the government. But tomorrow we have to pay attention to the fact that jobless numbers are going to come out and that's going to be a huge marker to see how bad the economy is actually doing right now and if we potentially could be entering or already in a recession. Mm. Thanks for your time this morning, Reggie. Thank you. That's Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. 848 on the morning news. Uh, The Calgary Public Libraries are closed throughout this city, but that does not mean you can't get your library fix. We're joined by their CEO, Mark Asberg, to explain how people can access their digital library from home. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good to have you this morning. And, uh, you know, this is good news. And I'm sure, uh, are you at home right now? I am at home right now. You're in the position of of many Calgarians uh, looking for things to do. And the library is still there for you, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, we know right now that's a difficult time for our community and people are perhaps in self-isolation or like myself, working from home and not getting out and about very much and not able to visit our wonderful 21 locations across the city. So so what we're doing right now is we're really investing in an unprecedented way in our digital resources and we're making sure that we're packaging them in a way that so they're more e- they're easier to navigate and easier to find on our website so that more people than ever can use them. We know already that uh, our uh, the views of our electronic resources 
prices have increased by almost 200% over the past week or so, and the checking out of e-books has increased by 35%. So we know that Calgarians are um, appreciative of this and starting to use this in a really big way, and, and that's really good news. Now, Mark, you mentioned e-books. What else is there, audiobooks, other things like that, I would imagine? So many things, and indeed for all ages. So from the uh, from the youngest readers, from the youngest learners, we've got some great video story times. So that magical experience of the of the story time that happens in our physical spaces, we've converted that into video. And so those are um, there's three now available on our website. I encourage you um, with your your young children, and even for adults because they're fun too, uh, to to have a look at those. There's great resources for students who are now learning in new ways from home. So <clears throat> lots of really strong uh, resources there, and for adults, so many options. So we've got we've got movies, we've got music, we've got ebooks, and we also have interesting databases. If you're looking to explore perhaps a, a new hobby, or for instance, if you're looking to, to look into the ancestry of your family, there's a great um, uh, resource for that. Oh, cool. If you love, yeah, even if you love birds, there's a great resource called Birds of the World, which will even give you the sounds of different birds if you're going for a walk at this time. So so many different uh, so many different opportunities there for people. Quite the number of offerings, and I'm wondering as the digital uh, you know, uh, realm of the library always been this robust, or have you folks just really pumped it up in the past couple of weeks? Well, you know, the, the, the library world's been changing for a long time, and definitely digital resources are inc- a really increasing uh, important part of our collection. And so I would say that around this year, about 50% of the circulation of adult materials, we're getting close to that 50% mark, will be digital. Um, so, so, so we've been building that up. And another area that we've been particularly building up is around professional learning. So if you're looking to really uh, update some of your professional skills right now, we've got some great databases uh, called Gale and Linda and some other resources as well. Um, uh, so if you've got some extra time at the moment, this is a great time to explore those too. How do we sign up for this, Mark? Because if you don't have your library card right now, how do we get on board with it? Yeah, so we're in, in good shape there. So if you don't actually have a library card, don't worry. You don't need to go to a physical location to get one. What you can do is just go to calgarylibrary.ca, and there is a membership form there. And uh, when you, once you've filled out the information, you'll actually be emailed your instant, uh, your instant library barcode so you can get started with all these great resources right away. And is there a cost involved? No, all of these resources are indeed free for, for everyone in Calgary. So we hope everyone takes advantage and, and, uh, and uh, that it's helpful for them at this time. And quick question for you, Mark, because I had a library book that I had out before this thing hit and the libraries closed. So um, are people getting uh, library overdue fines right now because we can't return our books? No, don't worry about that. Um, we've uh, we put a hold on all those fines, so there's no fines being charged for any of the books that you have out right now. And do keep them at home for now. So just uh, hang on to those books. Uh, if, they're, if they're a great book, give them another read. And as we ramp up to our reopening um, in, in, the, in the future, then, then it'll be the time to bring those back. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Mark, and stay safe out there. Great. Thanks so much. You too. Bye-bye. This is Mark Asberg, CEO of the Calgary Public Library.